0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org.
1: It's an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from IPR News. All this week, we're listening back to our 2023 Talk of Iowa Book Club episodes. I'm Charity Nebbie. We've been reading The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. The book came out in 2016. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction. In 2021, it was turned into a miniseries streaming on Amazon Prime. The book follows Cora and Caesar, who are both enslaved on a plantation in Georgia as they escape via the Underground Railroad. But in this reality, the Underground Railroad is an actual Underground Railroad that transports the characters first to South Carolina, then North Carolina, and beyond. Here's Colson Whitehead reading from the first page of the novel. He was a guest on NPR's Fresh Air in 2016.
0: The first time Caesar approached Cora about running north, she said no. This was her grandmother talking. Cora's grandmother had never seen the ocean before that bright afternoon in the port of Ouida, and the water dazzled after her time in the fort's dungeon. The dungeon stored them until the ships arrived. Dahomean raiders kidnapped the men first, then returned to her village the next moon for the women and children, marching them in chains to the sea, two by two. As she stared into the black doorway, Ajari thought she'd be reunited with her father down there in the dark. The survivors from her village told her that when her father couldn't keep the pace of the long march, the slavers stove in his head and left his body by the trail. Her mother had died years before.
1: That is Colson Whitehead reading from the very beginning of the Underground Railroad. And a little later in the hour, I'll be talking with three expert readers. But first, Makiba Levon is not only an expert reader, she has taught the book. She is an assistant professor of English at Grinnell College. Makiba, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thank you for being here. And I would love to hear about the first time you picked up this novel and read it. What was your reaction?
2: Okay, so this is interesting because I like to teach new books um, in my courses just to keep things fresh and interesting for myself. And then I figure that'll help with the students. So I actually taught this book. I put this book on my syllabus before it came out. Oh, wow. Coming out during the the semester and I'd heard about it and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing because like Whitehead, I too thought the Underground Railroad was an actual train when I was a child. And it wasn't until... I got one of those like, you know, appropriate for children books that explained everything was probably written by Virginia Hamilton or something that I'm like, oh, no, it was, you know, people opening up their homes and their businesses. But it sparked something in like child Makiba to think, oh, someone's taking this actual idea and doing something with it. So I was super excited. And my students loved it. They were beside themselves when we read it in class.
1: Was there any tension thinking, "Uh oh, I hope this lives up to my expectations. Well, that's always, <laughs>
2: that's always the roll of the dice, right? It's like you put it on there and you haven't read it. And you're like, Ooh, we're going to, but I always tell my students, you know, we're just going to be discovering this together. And, <laughs> and, you know, we don't have to necessarily like everything that we read together in class, but, you know, there's always something to be learned from it regardless. So I kind of, you know, stem expectations by saying that. And it just so happens that, you know, the novel blew us all out of the water.
1: Absolutely. Well, and it's a a novel that is often categorized as speculative fiction. It's Mm -hmm. also categorized as Afrofuturism sometimes. How do Mm -hmm. you define it?
2: I think speculative fiction is right on the money. I get the Afrofuturism and I won't refute it. I think that there's definitely um, a level of fight and refusal and a yearning for something more better in the future that, you know, totally allows it to be, um, you know, under the banner of Afrofuturism, particularly because The protagonists are these two black people who are essentially fighting not just for their lives, but for their futures.
1: One of the characters in the book, uh, Caesar, grew up enslaved, but he grew up in a household where there was this expectation that he and his parents would be freed upon the death of the woman who owned Mm -hmm. them. And that didn't happen. But he learned how to read when he was a child because of that. And he has one book in his possession, and it is Gulliver's Travels. And yes. and that's like the original speculative fiction. <laughs> I mean, that was first published yep. in 1726. But, but Whitehead has also said, you know, that, that his Underground Railroad is sort of like Gulliver's ship. When they leave on the Underground Railroad, they're untethered from time and space. And so they can travel to to places that don't necessarily line up historically.
2: Yeah, there's a bit of magic to it, right? It's underground. You know, there's so much about it that people don't know. You kind of only know, like, you're a part of it. You don't necessarily know where you're going. There's a sense of adventure. Um, also, like, who doesn't love Gulliver's Travel? Like, I was obsessed with that book for my entire childhood. There's there's something about the possibilities that we get from it that are just so magical.
1: So I find it fascinating that the beginning of the book takes place on this plantation in Georgia. And of all of the fiction that I've read that portrays the lives of enslaved people This felt the most real to me. I don't know. Did you have Mm -hmm. that feeling? I did have that feeling. I think the only
2: thing I can think of, like, a few that were similar, like uh, The Book of Night Women. Um, There's a book by Nalo Hopkinson called The Salt Roads, which is also very uh, speculative, um, that has, like, a similar feel. It's, It's the evocation of emotion, I think, right? What I really appreciate about what Whitehead does with this book is that we get so much of the interiority of the characters as they're going through, you know, all the things that are happening. And I think that allows you to really tune into the emotion of what's going on, um, regardless of what's happening, right? Like you get the humanity of the characters.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that, that was really driven home for me in this portrayal is i mean the brutality of slavery but also how every enslaved person is living with this trauma not only their you know generational trauma because of what has happened before but also living in fear, dealing with physical injuries, constant abuse. I mean, we think about Cora's headaches, and I was thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, chronic traumatic head injuries and, and how mm-hmm. we know how that affects people now. And, of course, at that time, nobody was thinking about the long-term consequences of beating people mercilessly, but right. he just made that so real. Yes, it's
2: it's a very tangible It's like the difference between, you know, reading about PTSD and actually, like, witnessing it, Mm -hmm. right, or feeling it for yourself. And I think that's part of what we discussed in class. Like, it's so powerful to think about and feel alongside these people whose lives are essentially discounted, right? I mean, they're made into assets. So it doesn't matter physically what they're going through as long as they can remain capital.
1: Right. Um, As the hour goes on, we'll talk about the different stops along the Underground Railroad and and what we learn from those after they leave that plantation in Georgia. That's where things get a lot more speculative, although Every experience that they have, even though it wasn't necessarily historically accurate for the time that they lived in, it was all historically mm-hmm. accurate. These things mm-hmm. really happened to Black people in America. Um, I, I'm curious, from from your perspective, what what do you feel makes this book so powerful?
2: So I, I think um, so many of the students didn't necessarily understand the role that enslavement has in, you know, our economic realities, even today, right? And I think part of what Whitehead does so well is that, you know, you can't read this book and walk away not knowing that this country exists the way it does because of the ways that enslaved people were treated, right? Because enslaved people were turned into capital. So it's a very real, um, meaty examination of what it means to live in a racially capitalist society where you cannot escape the racism that is entrenched from our economic realities as a supposed democratic institution.
1: Yeah, there's a, a, a line that repeats so many times when Cora asks who built the Underground Railroad. And yes. and they say, who builds everything in this country?
2: Who builds anything, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and he really gets at the heart of that.
1: Yeah. Uh, watching your students experience this book, I mean, you had read a lot of other fiction and a lot of other nonfiction that, introduced you, I'm sure, many times over to all of the concepts that, that were in this book, but I have to imagine it was new for a lot of your students. What was that mm-hmm. like?
2: It was actually really amazing. Um, <laughs> as soon as y'all asked me to do this, I'm like, oh man, I should add this back to my syllabus because it. I think there's so much of what they're getting in other classes, some of the things they've experienced in their own lives, Um, that became really clear for them reading this, especially because we were reading the book alongside, you know, historical accounts of the things that actually are mentioned, like the Tuskegee syphilis study and sterilization of Black women, right? The rise of um, gynecology, uh, the destruction of Black towns like Wilmington and Tulsa. So illuminating for them that like, yes, this is, fictionalized, particularly because, as you say, um, these things were spread out uh, beside the time that um, Whitehead chooses, which is, you know, the 1850s. So he's dealing particularly with, like, the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, but he references a lot of things that happen either before or after the time period that he chooses. But reading that actual historical account alongside the novel really entrenched... All of these things within them, and you know how we are living through the reverberations of those today, you know, as um, Cynthia Hartman says, The afterlives of, of slavery.
1: Makiba Levon, thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.
0: Support for this IPR podcast comes from Iowa Community Foundations, an initiative of the Iowa Council of Foundations, connecting donors to causes they care about. Details on the Endow Iowa Tax Credit Program at communityfoundations.org. This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including Above and Beyond Cancer.
1: This is an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from IPR News. This week, we're listening back to our 2023 Talk of Iowa Book Club episodes. I'm Charity Nebbe, and we've been reading The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. The book came out in 2016. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction. And it follows Cora and Caesar, who are both enslaved on a plantation in Georgia as they escape using the Underground Railroad. But in this fiction... The Underground Railroad is an actual underground railroad that transports the characters first to South Carolina, then North Carolina, and beyond. And three more expert readers are now here to join the conversation. Reverend Ray Dial is a retired educator and current pastor at Bethel AME Church in Iowa City. Hello, Ray. Hello.
3: Good to be here.
1: It is wonderful to have you here. And I asked you to read a novel. That's not normally what you spend your time doing. So tell me your reaction to this book?
3: Well, it's interesting because I rarely read fiction. I think this is probably the fourth fiction that I've read in 10 years. (laughs) Because when you preach and teach, you kind of don't get to use a lot of fiction. But it was interesting. I guess it's, um, I'll use the yogiism for something (laughs) to be untrue, but real. So that part was, was interesting. But I Try to stay away from fun because of the subject matter it it is hurtful when you get into it yeah. and um, but interesting and necessary
1: yeah the um the speculative nature does that give you a little bit of an emotional distance because there's uh, stuff happening that that is not entirely based in reality
3: and why that's the case having, you know, the black American experience is that it's it's always real um, in your everyday life. And having been born in Alabama and I oh, so <laughs> I remember, you know, talking my grandfather, great-grandfather was enslaved, so talking to my mother about his experiences and just recognizing the fact that there probably isn't a black woman in America whose ancestors have been here since before enslavement ended that wasn't either raped or in some way sexually assaulted and had to deal with that to survive and then not tell her husband or a significant other. Because if you tell, then they either have to lose their life defending your honor or never look you in the eye again. Because they didn't. So in that sense, it's it's a good and necessary read, but not a fun read.
1: Right. Yeah. Really, really tough. Tara Bynum is also here, assistant professor of English and African-American studies at the University of Iowa and author of Reading Pleasures, Everyday Black Living in Early America. Tara, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you so much for being here. And this was also your first time reading this novel. Tell me about your reaction.
4: It was my first time reading this book, and I've heard about it, certainly. Um, And I think it was definitely an interesting read. I think I was struck by kind of Whitehead's exploration of the the. Underground Railroad and and thinking of it as an actual kind of physical structure. You know, I think that I uh, wrestled a bit kind of with the arc of the story, you know, trying to make sense of the work that Colson Whitehead wanted to do with it. Um, And so, yeah, I guess I'm excited to have our conversation today to talk more about it.
1: Absolutely. And uh, I, I've said this before, but we don't we don't all have to agree on everything. So I can't wait to hear your thoughts. So we also have Abana Sankofa Imotep with us. She is an author and executive director of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group and Sankofa Literary Academy. Abana, welcome. Hi, Charity. Thanks for having me. Wonderful to talk to you and give me your first impressions of the book.
5: Well, I was intrigued by another uh, story that um, allows readers to reimagine enslavement. Um, and I grappled with a lot of things in the story. I, I initially went into the story thinking, oh, gosh, another slavery book. But um, the the opportunity to reimagine and retell history as a real formation um, rather than Um, you know, the Underground Railroad as we have come to know it, it was very interesting to me. So I'm I'm happy to be able to, to talk through this book with everyone
1: today. So I'm curious from each one of you, and I'll start with you, Abinah, mixing history, because in the beginning of the book, we, I mean, we first imagine what it was like for Cora, the main character of the novel, for her grandmother to be captured and enslaved and brought across the ocean. And then we really dig into life on this plantation in Georgia. So, thus far, the narrative is, is very much historical fiction. And as things depart from historical fiction, and it gets more into the speculative part of the fiction, was that uncomfortable for you at all, Abena? Did you Did you feel unsettled? Because we were mixing uh, reality, I mean, real historical facts with this fanciful story?
5: No, I don't think it was necessarily uncomfortable for me, but it was actually uh, a, a necessary point of departure because we're able to reimagine enslavement in this kind of futuristic way. It allows for the full spectrum of not just black humanity, but black creativity. Black authors don't only have to write about history we can write about many, many things. And I think Colson Whitehead does a fantastic job of displaying the creativity of a free black man who is able to write what he wants to write. So the book is an examination of not only enslavement through a historically fictional lens, but in my perspective of the possibilities of class distinction on a plantation, which you can really only uh, examine through the lens of someone who is allowed to be creative, who is free to be creative.
1: It's interesting. You, you mentioned the class distinction on the plantation. Uh, I've listened to a number of interviews with Colson Whitehead, and he has spoken about how in his depiction of the plantation, he wanted to have fully realized human beings. He says, with you know, with so much of this historical fiction, um, the enslaved people are reduced to stereotypes in many ways. Or, you know, we have, we have uh, the, the urge to make sure that we only see the good in, in the individuals who were enslaved people. And he wanted a fully realized... Spectrum of humanity on the plantation and also to recognize, as we were talking about earlier, how incredibly traumatized these people are and how that would affect their behavior and their choices. Tara, what were your thoughts in reading about the plantation life?
4: I think that what I actually wanted more of was the people. And also the people in the place. So I think there were times when I was left wondering, like, where in Georgia are we? And if that's not a good kind of orienting question, then what work is not knowing where we are in Georgia doing? Mm. You know, and I think that there were also times when I I guess I was keenly aware of Whitehead's bibliography like the secondary sources that he had been reading. Um, you've read a lot of them yeah, yeah. yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I said <laughs> um, I said okay like this is certainly well read and well researched but I almost wanted there to maybe be like more interest in like who they are. You know, I think, I guess I I, I was still left wondering, like, who, who is Cora? Who who are the people on this plantation? Because they still seemed to be defined so much by the plantation experience. Okay. Um, and, you know, I think maybe aside from the garden patch that Cora kept, like, they're I guess I, I longed for more of the, the, the character development C- the because I thought life. that there was, yeah, yeah, because I think that there was so much focus on like making sure the there was the right level of historical accuracy, you know. But I guess I wanted the historical accuracy with a bit more depth of character.
1: Um, what about you, Ray? In that in reading about the plantation in Georgia,
3: it was interesting to help people understand that there was more than just the person the house and field uh, that within the house you can have a hierarchy and enslaved people in the field you can have a hierarchy and um, the psychology of oppressed people becoming oppressors and as I'm reading it I'm thinking about you know Hmm this sounds like Solomon Northrup this sounds like Josiah Henson this sounds like and so recognizing all of those things in there and seeing the female character be the main character which most of the time you don't you don't have that in in some of the um, original narratives and just watching the ebb and flow of her life and her hopes and expectations. But it was good to recognize that oppressed people can become oppressive because of their oppression, you know, the hate that hate produces.
1: Right, right. Uh, Let's talk about Cora. Um, And, Ray, why don't you go first? I mean, we know that Cora... Was around 17 years old or so ish um, in this story at the beginning of the story. So she was a young woman, but of course, um, childhood was not something that was respected among enslaved people. Her mother had left, and and. Run away to try to seek freedom when Cora was around ten years old, and so her mother Mabel was gone and was a legend because she had never been found and never been brought back to the plantation. So we have Cora, who is is very much alone, trying to make her way in the world, and um, she gets relegated to living with a group of women who are, are I guess sort of characterized as being mentally ill the the women who can't live with the other people on on the plantation so tell me what you think about Cora
3: understanding or dealing with her character was difficult for me because you know my mom's name is Cora so oh, the, wow. um, the entire time I'm saying okay well you know and because even though I'm I was born in Alabama my mother was born in Mississippi in 1929 and a Little town, so recognizing that yeah you know, she would have had to deal with all of those kinds of things. obviously, enslavement didn't exist at the time, but freedom didn't either. right. And as a matter of fact, she was she told me how that she and her sister had to go from their little town, Pachuta about 12 miles away to Meridian to go to high school because Pachuta, the school, stopped at sixth grade and it was actually a school that her grandfather had built. So as I'm reading this character, I'm I'm picturing people in Pachuta and I'm trying not to get angry, recognizing that this is happening, but I'm also intrigued by her wit uh, as she moves through life and chooses opportunities to say things that or deep cutting, recognizing that anytime you say something that can be offensive to your oppressor, you can or will get hit. And but also watching her recognize the little courtesies of turning your back while she gets dressed. Remember when I read that part, I said, just think about I don't like taking having to take my shoes and belt off at the airport. Here's somebody that has to. Um, She's she never can, had any yeah. privacy in her entire yeah. life. She can remember the first time that men chose to turn their back as a sign of respect, and that was, was something. Just watching her absorb all of that and knowing that she represents hundreds of thousands of women.
1: Yeah, well, and I I know that in asking you to read this book. Um, I was asking you to do some emotional labor and I I didn't know of course about that connection. So And I didn't until so, I got
3: to the first page as well. Wow. <laughs> but it's um our family has never shied away from these kinds of issues. Part of what got us from Mississippi and Alabama to Los Angeles where I grew up were these kinds of issues. Her older brother was a principal at a black high school in Mississippi and helping students go away to college. And the white people of the town resented it, so they set the school on fire, blamed it on him. <laughs> and so he ended up, he spent 23 years, 23 days in jail, then they let him go. And I'm reading some things about to get out was like, whew, you didn't get killed. But yeah. then that, that was the end of his teaching career, my oldest aunt was actually an English teacher in the school. So it was, uh, So I'm reading this, and so it, it brought it alive, but that's why I think it's important when people read it, uh, and we may have to smuggle it to um, Florida somewhere. Or <laughs> so Iowa, that, right. Yeah, <laughs> pass it around in a paper bag, <laughs> because it, it brings it alive and lets people know she's real. The women she interacted with were real. And then seeing the psychology of people who say, how do I survive my oppression? Um, we used to talk about as kids, that's why people played the dozens, um, because they were trying to get some sense of I am somebody. And one of the ways that they sometimes had to do it was to look down on other people. Right. The you know, dozens is kind of a yeah.
1: playground game where you insult each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Abena, what did you think of Cora? I thought Cora was amazing. I
5: honestly was rooting for her um, as soon as she stepped into the, the narrative. Um, this is a girl who is othered in so many ways. Um, she's subjugated by the fact that she is black, by the fact that she is enslaved, by the fact that she's female and then also that she's considered crazy and has to live separately. Um, and all of these distinctions, um, within all of that, she is able to remain connected to her ancestral legacy, the legacy of her mother, and that longing and for connection to her mother and her grandmother. Those um, connections stayed with her throughout the narrative. And so I thought Cora, was a hero and I was rooting for her the entire time.
1: I want to talk more about those ancestral connections in a moment, but we do need to take a short break. We'll be back in a moment to talk more about The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. With me this hour, Abena Sankofa-Imatep. She's an author and executive director of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group and Sankofa Literary Academy. Tara Bynum is here, assistant professor of English and African American Studies at the University of Iowa, author of Reading Pleasures, Everyday Black Living in Early America, and Reverend Ray Dial. He's a retired And current pastor at Bethel AMA Church in Iowa City. We'll be back in a moment.
0: This IPR podcast is supported by Cultivating Compassion, the Dr. Richard Deming Foundation, fostering causes that enrich the community, generate understanding, and cultivate compassion, including above and beyond cancer.
1: This is an archive edition of Talk of Iowa from IPR News. As the year comes to a close, we're listening back to our 2023 Talk of Iowa Book Club episodes. I'm Charity Nebbe. We have been reading The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. The book came out in 2016. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction. It revolves around a character named Colson. Cora, she's at the center of the story. And in the beginning of the book, she's enslaved on a plantation in Georgia. And she escapes with the help of Caesar, another enslaved person. They escape using the Underground Railroad, which in this reality is an actual Underground Railroad that transports the characters first to South Carolina, then North Carolina, and beyond. And with me, I have three expert readers in the studio. Abana Sankofa Imhotep is here, author and executive director of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group and Sankofa Literary Academy. Tara Bynum, assistant professor of English and African-American studies at the University of Iowa, and author of Reading Pleasures, Everyday Black Living in Early America, and Reverend Ray Dial, a retired educator and current pastor at Bethel AME Church in Iowa City. And just before the break, Abena, you had brought up Cora's connection to her mother and to her grandmother. And we see her Reflecting on the choices that she makes and how in in one moment she is doing what her grandmother would have done in the next moment, she is doing what her mother may have done and and thinking about those connections. And I feel like uh, Whitehead was really, really careful in crafting that connection and demonstrating that Cora is not just shaped by her circumstances, does not just spring from the oil the, you know, the earth of Georgia, but has a, a lineage. So uh, Tara, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that and, and why that, that may or may not have worked for you or been important.
4: I think that Cora as a character is certainly Compelling, and I, I kind of often wondered, like, how she saw those kind of connections between her mother and grandmother. So, you know, I think we're introduced to both women, and yet, I guess I, you know, I'm, and I'm the one in this call, <laughs> in this call, in this episode that's kind of longing right. for Wanting more, more. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I think that that is also something that I wanted more of. And, you know, I guess I say that as someone who who has a true investment in thinking about kind of the interiority of black people in centuries past. The 18th century is my favorite century, the 19th, not so much. So, you know, I think that I, in kind of reading through this fictional model of like thinking about this particular history, I think that there were moments where I wanted the fiction part to do that much more work for me, you know? And I know that I'm one reader <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also not the author of this book. But I I guess I wanted there to be uh, an even more clearer through line between Cora and her mother and her grandmother. Not just that what they have in common is that Ajari ends up enslaved and as a result, you know, they emerge as, as Ajari's lineage. But I guess I wanted there to... You know, even in thinking about Caesar picking Cora as his running buddy, you know, I think that that was an interesting moment that, they, you know, I guess I wanted there to be a deeper exploration of why. Yeah. Other than, like, oh, Cora's going to be lucky because Mabel Mabel made it. Right. Or so everyone thinks. Um, like, what does that actually mean? You know, what what about Cora suggest luck, you know, is that what makes her life at the hob important? The fact that she is kind of cast out, you know, like, is is it, is it these moments where she bucks authority that is compelling to Caesar or even to herself, you know? So I admittedly am the, as I said, the one who is longing, but I wanted
3: there to be more. I always wondered too, how much of what was passed down in each generation to her about freedom to even know that that's something you ought to want. And then over the generations, how much of it dissipates and that you really don't know what it is so that you're afraid to even want it. And is it something that she said or the way that she said it that allows Caesar to think she has the fortitude to do what, I can't do by myself and I believe that she can. So it, it it was that thing that was missing, but I was always interested in how do you explain to someone that's never been free. And as she goes through life talking about scenes, the other side of the trees for the first time or a tall building for the first time and being able to look at the stars differently those kinds of things it would have been interesting to have more of that
1: right well it, you you talk about freedom and i think that i mean obviously the different themes about freedom are in every chapter and one of the things that i found really interesting so they they escape through the Underground Railroad, and their first stop is South Carolina. In South Carolina, they have many more freedoms than they had as enslaved people, but they're not really free. They are um, most of the the people they live in boarding houses, most of the people that they are living in with are actually owned by the state of South Carolina. They are getting the opportunity to be educated. but they're also put on display. and they are also being, we find out, experimented on, and women are being sterilized. And of course, these are all things that that really, happened in American history not in 1850 but happened in American history and that's of course a big part of what Whitehead is is showing us but i found it so fascinating that cora and caesar didn't want to leave so they had found this place and they could go on to to seek more freedom but they they felt Safe, and they felt like this was this was maybe as good as it could get. What, Ray, what did you think about when you were reading that? Because I really wanted them to leave.
3: It's kind of they, <laughs> they got to a point where they recognize the known evil that they left and the lesser evil of where they were. and the unknown <laughs> and sometimes more fearful for people than, and we even see it in people. today, you know you you meet people who, something as simple as, I'm not going to try that food. You know, it looks funny. <laughs> you know? So trying to appreciate, You know, when I would teach black studies, reminding high school students that there's more to running away than just leaving. It's a fear of the unknown, and that's why more people did not. So looking at it that way, but it was interesting Watching them wrestle with that because he understood more about it and what was out there. But for him to be satisfied stopping there and then I'm at the same time because of politics, I'm thinking, (laughs) how different are the Carolinas now? (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm I'm sure that that
1: was was intentional because uh, we believe ourselves to be free. But are we? Tara, you look like you have something you want to say. Well,
4: I I think that the... the impulse to stay in South Carolina also, you know, kind of felt to me like a, a comment on, you know, what it means to make home. I guess I wasn't necessarily thinking about whether or not they should keep going. You know, I think once I kind of bought into the Whitehead universe that was constructed here, you know, I think that it it seemed like a uh, an important choice to make an important choice to kind of yeah think about what it what it means to have have escaped have have made it have kind of made it through the hardest the hardest part that they know of so i guess for me like just thinking about it in sort of you know the the novel's own time frame like i got think that sure that some of it might be that there, there's an unknown that they don't want to walk into, but I think there's also the reality of what they've accomplished. And I think that we can't necessarily toss that aside or cast that aside mm. for, you know, a, a, a further off utopia that may or may not exist within the kind of universe of this book. So mm. I, I guess that's what I thought of first that, you know, Cora as Bessie had figured out how to, to make home and kind of to make home yet again um, and to know that that she was capable of doing that outside of the kind of very limited uh, plantation setting in Georgia.
3: I had to keep reminding myself, too, that that was the North, if you're coming from Georgia. Right. And not comparing it to uh, being in Canada, but to not being on that plantation and even... Now recognizing you know, I think Carolinas and Georgia's Southern states, I have a different mindset than if I think about um, Oregon or Washington or California. so it 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 was interesting
1: well, i I want to jump ahead. A little bit there are so many moments in this book that that do illustrate different parts of American history Um, they spend time in North Carolina and we do see you know so many elements of again uh, black culture black societies being destroyed and black people being murdered I want to jump ahead to Indiana and you mentioned utopia Tara in Indiana Cora finds herself on a farm that is owned by a man named John Valentine, who is a black free man. But his skin is very light and he uses his ability to pass as a tool to build a safe place for enslaved people who are, are seeking freedom and, and other black Americans who might gather there. So so this was a little, you know, it was almost a communal farm. It is a communal farm, not a utopia, but but it gives us an opportunity to explore a, a lot of interesting debate that, again, has happened in the United States and continues to happen in the United States as to how to create a better future for Black Americans. Abina, tell me what you thought about the farm in Indiana.
5: I think the farm speaks to, again, the geography of our identity which is truly one of the themes that I was able to pull out of this, this novel is our identity is informed by where we are. And kind of circling backward a little bit to Cora and the garden that she inherited from her mother and her grandmother. So using the land as a mechanism with which to reach back to your home, not necessarily that home is a geographical place, but this, that home is something that is given to you and in you and you take it wherever you go. I feel like Indiana was another point at which Cora could say along the journey that wherever I plant my feet, I'm at home. Because, yes, although geography informs our identity, our identity is formed by what we are thinking and what we pull from, from cultural identity wherever we plant our feet.
1: That farm was not a safe place. There's no safe place in this entire book, which I, I mean that was incredibly intentional again by Colson Whitehead to point out that there is no safety and so many of the people who sought freedom never found it. I mean, Ray, the the whole book uh, keeps you in in fear. And that that was on purpose.
3: Yeah, and to to know that collectively well, thinking back to the to Valentine with when I'm reading and he's buying land for other people, and in my mind I'm knowing that you can get away with that one time <laughs> because when you go back, like, wait a minute, we just sold you some land, and but also recognizing the, the issue of skin color. And he was only able to do what he did because of the color of his skin and then having relationships with the other people on the farm, which really, you know, there's more freedom, or is it just that the gate that keeps you in is farther away, and so you can look farther before you see the fence?
1: We only have about a a minute and a half left, and I would love to hear from each of you why you think this might be an important book to read. I,
4: I think that this would be, you know, the teacher and me in thinking about this book, I, I think it would be an, an important book to read alongside of primary sources and to maybe think a bit more about like what what real people did and how real people made home, whether, whether safety was their priority or not. You know, so I think that that's, that's kind of what I'm sitting here imagining. Like, this book, I think, would work well alongside so many other kind of primary source documents that might help my students think more fully about, right. about those lived experiences. It would
1: start a lot of good conversations. Yeah. Abena, why do you think this would be an important book to read?
5: I absolutely love this book. And I think it's important to read because one of the characters that is unnamed but interwoven throughout is allyship. Allyship is a character in this story, and it's given locomotive power by making the Underground Railroad a real thing. So it it begs us to ask questions. What would happen if we interrogate the system of the Underground Railroad and give it systematic implementation of allyship? Give it arms and legs. What could happen? And is that a key component that's missing in our movements today as far as Black advancement? Are is is allyship given locomotive power? Is it given arms and legs? And then, how much more powerful would our movements be to counter the present political and social actions
1: if we were able to do that? Ray, you get the final word. As a
3: non-writer, I could see the, it as a teaching tool where. You can help students understand you can't write this unless you have read primary sources. And you probably would have read 20 different research things in order to generate this so I could see it motivating someone who wants to do something like this to have to do the other. And I'm glad that I had to read some fiction and who knows, maybe... um, I'll pick up another fiction book before 10 years pass.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you all so much for, for talking with me and for reading with me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.
5: Thank you, Charity.
1: Reverend Ray Dial is a retired educator and current pastor at Bethel AME Church in Iowa City. Tara Bynum is assistant professor of English and African American Studies at the University of Iowa and author of Reading Pleasures, Everyday Black Living in Early America. And Abana Sankofa Imotep is an author and executive director of Sankofa Literary and Empowerment Group and Sankofa Literary Academy. Special thanks to Prairie Lights Bookstore in Iowa City for providing books for our readers. This episode was produced by Kate Troutman. I'm Charity Nebbe. This is Talk of Iowa from IPR News.